think we should call it a very special episode. Very special episode. <laughs> Which means we Heather Locklear is going to be on it, I think. <laughs> very special guest star. Heather Locklear was on Melrose Place for yeah. like 10 years, and she was a special guest star the entire time. <laughs> she was the whole time. We're finding comfort wherever we can, you know, whatever soothes soul. I mean, mine too, Liz, you talk about self-care. I'm working out. I'm working out and doing, I'm an Orange Theory devotee. And so what I've loved, what I love about that is working out with other people. That really appeals Mm -hmm. to me. It's always been when I'm my most healthy. And this is a total kick in the ass to that. Like, what am I supposed to do? But living in the community that I live in, the compound that I'm kind of on here at a boarding school, I mean, there is an element of I have the the three or four people that I work out with. We work out six feet apart from each other, but we're able to do that home workout and like have that be something I can hang my hat on for my day. That I'm outside, mostly we do it outside, physically moving. Like all of that has been really, really important to me. I feel like... Um... You know, I have to remind myself often, actually, that we're in a global pandemic. Like when I find myself not um, as sharp as I want to be, like I, you know, I've heard a lot of people talking about like brain fog and like memory, you know, retrieval issues and all of these things. I have to remind myself like I'm in I'm in the middle of like a global event that will be. in history books forever. Like this is very stressful for who we are and self-care gets all kinds of, uh, there are things about self-care that have been co-opted by like the wellness industry. Mm -hmm. And you can, and you can see some of that now on social media, like here's what self-care looks like. Here's what it doesn't look like. But one of the best things that I learned in CPE, I had a great, and for our listeners, CPE is a, thing that people preparing for ministry do to learn um, how to minister in in a crisis, basically. Um, And usually it happens in hospitals. But my CPE director was an old, she was old, she was an old nun. And she she was very frank. And she said, um, when people are grieving, all of the physical things that we do as humans become more or less. And it's food, it's um, alcohol, sleep, and sex. And she was like, if someone is grieving, like you can you pay attention to how those things are shifting, but like don't judge them too harshly. And I've noticed that there's this real um, narrative in the world about like don't don't gain the coronavirus fifteen or like don't you know there's all this stuff. But the fact is that we're grieving and our little bodies are seeking. Um, comfort, which is either going to be through abundance or restriction in, um, in all kinds of ways. And the idea that we proceed with business as usual right now mm-hmm. is, um, is 
really kind of ludicrous. And so I just feel like to, to that aspect of self, for me, part of self-care is telling myself, God, you're really going through something crazy. I'm just aware that this is hard for everybody in different ways. And I feel like part of us being good neighbors to one another, um, if you're in a faith tradition, it's part of being a good member of that community is recognizing like this sucks for everybody and just in different ways. Mm-hmm. And it, we can't, it's not a, an Olympic event about who it sucks for more. Like, you know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you guys have experienced that, but I've just seen like these memes and stuff that it's like, what the hell do you think I'm doing over here? Or what you, it just feels, there's a lot of um, finger pointing, I guess, about who has it easy and who has it hard. I have really noticed for me and other people, like when I, like I visited a few parishioners in their home, like with a safe distance business. And we're so excited to see each other. It's like, oh, hi, it's so good to see you. And then we fall into this, like, what do we talk about? And it's this kind of vague, like, wow, what are you up to? Well, I, you know, I love looking at the flowers in my backyard. And so some of it is that there's not a lot of kind of content in some ways to life right now that makes us vague. But I think there's also just kind of this weird malaise but it's like a verbal malaise, a conversational malaise. And like, even, I mean, I live with William, we see each other all the time. We're busy with our different work. Um, But then like, even when it's downtime, we kind of do our own thing. And that's just sort of easier. When we converse, we converse, but it's, it's not super deep. And I just think that's in a weird way uh, to, to, to name it, and not to feel embarrassed or bad about not having one's conversational game up to speed is important. So thank you for saying that, because I think it's true. One of the gifts, I think, of being a rector of a parish is that I am, uh, I'm focused on the troubles and concerns of the parishioners in my care. And so I, have to, I, have, I take whatever's going on in their lives seriously. And none of the folks that, I, that are the parishioners at St. Luke's have the virus uh, all of them are kind of cared for. There are elderly people who have grandkids shopping for them and everything's everything's kind of going okay. You know, there are some hard things, but um, but they do have fears and concerns and anxieties. And so I don't, I don't even think of playing that game of God. If I were in New York City in Manhattan and I were a doctor, I would be a mess. We pray for them, but I don't think it does anyone any good to kind of do a comparison because mm-hmm. it just makes me feel bad. And I've got other things to worry about and I've got people's, you know, so it's interesting. I, I, you know, I'm usually like right there with Shane whenever it happens, but, but this one doesn't work. Uh, This one, it's like, you know, we, we, we've got to worry and, and be extra prayerful and send donations if we can to places that are in need, but um, we don't, they don't need our shame. I find myself really frustrated and annoyed uh, most of the time now and I think it's like it's little things that kind of add up to like this feeling of frustration. Um, like for instance, I don't like wearing masks. I don't like I don't like masks. Like I don't like wearing them. I don't like going around. I don't like people having telling me I have to wear one. Like I don't like any of that. It's frustrating. Um, like Ricardo was saying, you know, this kind of um, this kind of gap in our ability to speak to each other, how every conversation has to start with like, oh, how, how are you guys doing? Are you is everybody OK? It's like, yes, everybody's fine. Like, 
there's no sickness in my house. Like everybody's fine. And then it always ends with like this. All right, well, stay safe, stay well. It's like, oh, Jesus. Okay, fine. I'll do my best. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's just like, it's all of, all of this stuff, like phrases like new normal. And you know, it, all of this stuff adds up. We're in this together. It just like, I feel really annoyed. I don't feel anxious. I don't feel scared. I just feel annoyed most of the time. Um, I think a lot of that is personal. I think it's because like this global pandemic has hit me where a lot of value is in my job, which is planning things and executing those plans. Um, And then personally, it just scrapped like, you know, things that I've been working on for like four years and stuff like, you know, but it, those are little things. But ultimately, it's like, that's what I feel, you know, is like this this kind of annoyance. And I just kind of wonder, like, what do you guys feel during this time? Like, what is what's your predominant kind of feeling? Well, I'm all about feelings and I am one to talk about feelings a lot. So I appreciate the question. I, um, you know, I do think that sort of like grief I guess I don't want to keep, well, grief is a good analogy because we're grieving. Um, You know how when people are grieving, they are more of themselves. They are themselves times a hundred or something. So I think that for some of us, we have our go-to feelings when we're feeling at risk or when we're feeling vulnerable or when we're feeling grief. Um, And then those feelings are amplified. So for me, that, that feeling does not tend to be frustration or anger but it does tend to be sadness. So I feel like I'm living in sadness more. And I know people, I mean, a lot of people, Greg, just like you, who it's, it's anger and frustration. And, and I, my guess is that it's the same origin, right? Like it's the, it's a response to the same thing. We're just differently wired. Um, but today I had an experience for the first time where, and I've had this experience in my ministry before and in life where, I just looked at what was coming and thought, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Like the decisions that I have to make coming up, the the actual the work that I have to do, the big shift in in work. I mean, um, like all of us, like I'm doing a new job now. Like I didn't, I didn't want a new job. I loved my job, and all of a sudden, I'm doing a new job now. And so I sort of looked down the road and allowed myself a moment to just be like, Well, crap, I don't want to do this. And, and I feel called to it, and I feel um, there's an aspect of faithfulness to me that we do kind of go where we don't want to go, and we don't have a choice. <laughs> you know, like, we have to do it. Yeah, it's like my choir director talks about it. He's like, I'm not, he is still holding classes and has found this cool, like, sight singing program that he's using with our choir kids and stuff. But he's like, I've become a video producer. Because, mm-hmm. like, he mm-hmm. works... And does choir and things, and they they did a beautiful, you know, were you there when they crucified my Lord for Good Friday? It was beautiful. And he also works at St. John's Lafayette Square on the on the weekends, right? Um, doing their cool stuff, and so, but he's kind of become this video editor, of putting all these voices together for these super cool virtual choirs that now everybody wants you to do one. You know, it's hard. Um, super hard. Super hard. But uh, I think I, Greg, I relate to your pissed offness. Like, <laughs> I am annoyed that I cannot be in a room with people to have a more efficient way of doing things. Mm-hmm. I just, 
I feel like there are meetings I am missing. There is stuff that we, we could so much easier just hash this out if we were all in a room together. But I know it's just going to take 10 times longer because we're not going to. And then I will be processing that. And then my lovely child says something and I snap at her. And I know it's coming from that place of being annoyed. That the efficiency I really value about myself. Being efficient and getting things done. I feel like I'm just walking in molasses and I just can't get there. I don't know how to that, how to have a feeling of completion mm-hmm. in a way. It's it's that I find really frustrating. Cuz I thought, oh, you know, I'm just going to dig in over here, do some journaling and centering prayer and I'm just going to be getting up. But like I had all I was I was definitely in that trap for show. But now it's yeah. like, oh, no. You know. And I don't mean to set the tone of like feeling <laughs> like sad, mad, bad. But it glass, allows me you know, to say that, that like, I'm pissed. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think that's nice to be able to just name it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'm doing fine. I'll I'll run a counter argument here. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say fine, but you know, when I was in CPE, they had this thing. I think it was called the feeling wheel or yeah. something and it had all the emotions on it and i kept so so what are you feeling and i kept saying things that actually weren't emotions because <laughs> i guess I, I don't know what emotions are or something i think it was it was so busy through easter for me and that only now you know two weeks later am i starting to feel that kind of restlessness of like okay so now what again i think i have the the opportunity as a rector i kind of call the shots um and they kind of like look to me for stuff uh, the one time that the one way I get in trouble is I start comparing myself to other clergy and what they're doing. Oh, we have Bible study on Tuesdays and we have coffee right. hour on Sundays and we have special guests and the choir recorded this thing and sent it in. And I'm just like, you know, OK, you're awesome. But I can't do yeah. all that stuff. I don't have the resources you do or I just don't have the imagination or I'm more focused on yeah. pastoral care and meeting one-on-one with people over the phone. Well, and you have a different ministry context. Like we're all just doing the best. We know our our contexts better than anyone else does. Yes. And I would imagine that if your parish needed, if you had a sense that they really needed one of those things, you would give it to them. You would help them provide it. But You know, I feel like I've stepped into my leadership in a way that I didn't feel as 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 closely before. It's like, I do these services, they respond, they're appreciative, I call them, we have heart-to-hearts. It's really hard. (laughs) We've talked in our office about having a feelings wheel, like on a hidden, like on the back of a door, because it would be so helpful if if people are, like, you know, there are more feelings than, like, sad, mad, and hungry. Like, you can, (laughs) there's a whole world out there of feelings that you can name. Yeah, we wanted to get together and, and talk a little bit about comfort um, and how we're finding comfort, uh, the focus of where we've been finding that comfort maybe digitally. I've, I know I've struggled with kind of vacillating between having routine and not having routine, and that, that's been kind of difficult for me. But um, I'm curious, actually, what have y'all been consuming media-wise in terms of your comfort food in that area? No, okay, go, Ricardo. Um, You're learning how to cook in quarantine. Yeah, that might be an interesting story to tell. Yes, it is. But first, I want to say that um, true to form, I have turned to the 19th century for comfort. Oh, Uh, Oh, Lord. All right. (laughs) 
all you listeners what out you there, got? if you could just see the look on Betsy's face. Oh, my <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Entry. Before the lockdown, I was taking a class at Stanford, and then the lockdown happened, and we had to have the last two classes online. But I took, I'm took i taking another one, and it's on the Bronte sisters. So we're reading Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights. It's strange to read novels by women in the 19th century who lived in northern England on the moors, who lived basically isolated lives, who basically sheltered in place as they wrote these creepy kind of dark, wild, passionate novels about women coming into their own and falling in love with kind of jerky men. So I'm, I'm reading Jane Eyre and it's pretty immersive and it's it's really good. It's kind of a rip-roaring tale and what's going to happen to Jane? Is she going to be all right? Or are the forces of life going to take over and mess things up for her the way they did in her childhood? Um, I will say though, just to delve into the novel for a mo- brief moment, there's a scene where she gets sent to this school, Lowood, that's kind of a you know, this nasty, of course, pars- the, the, the clergy are always bad guys. <laughs> They're the worst. Century fiction, the with worst. few exceptions. Jane Eyre, I'm sorry to have to tell you, is a liar. The lesson of the day will be that lying is a sin, that all liars deserve to be shunned by their fellows. Stand on that stool, Jane. You will stay there until midnight, and you will not eat or drink, but bow to beg God's forgiveness for your sin. And so this guy, Mr. Brocklehurst, runs Lowood School, and he's not a nice person. And they're deprived of good food, and it's cold, and typhus basically hits more than half the girls at a certain point, and so they're quarantined. But Jane doesn't get sick. We talked in the Zoom in our Zoom class, the Stanford class, about how that's kind of how things are now. There are some people like who have to stay indoors and are sick and are being tended to and are dying. And we have this weird, it's sheltering in place, but there's a freedom in it. I get to kind of look out and watch the birds chirping and notice the roses blooming in our front yard. And I'm sure all of you have had this experience where there are these hidden pleasures or this way you're noticing things in life that you didn't before. So just as Jane does that in the midst of like basically a, a, an epidemic in her school, I think that's happened with me and some parishioners that I've talked with. I've talked with one guy who said, you know, I could do this the rest of my life. That's kind of what I'm doing. Did that make sense at all? The whole dynamic yeah. of awful times, yet there are these kind of really sweet things going on, like learning to cook. Um, mm-hmm. uh, finally, at 53 years of age, Jane Eyre. Who I you gonna invite Liz. <gasps> Thank you. I live alone, and I am a people person. Really, uh, encountering aloneness has been hard, but also I think like rich in a lot of ways. And one of the things I realized right away was, um. I was in the first weeks of this, I was very anxious and I was reminded through the experience of having anxiety that um, our feelings live in our bodies, right? Like we experience them really physically. So I've been trying to like my rest when I can achieve it has really been about like tending to my senses. I've been opening the windows to let the fresh air in lighting all of the most expensive candles that I don't normally light because I love the way they smell and to be a little bit more embodied 
um, in a time when I can't get hugs or um, just all of it. Travel. I mean, gosh, I travel constantly in my ministry, and that's always an adventure, and all of that's gone. So anyway, that's been sort of a part of my routine. Prayer has been, too, like really, um, like you, Ricardo, making that um, a daily routine in a more committed way. And, um, I'm now really attentive to my little prayer list that I keep with my prayer book and like updating it and amending it and, um, you know, kind of tracking it. I'm being a little bit bolder in how I pray. So that's all been really good. Now, when it comes to media consumption back when I was in my anxiety phase that I encouraged everyone to get into their, um, self care. Um, what did I call it? First aid kit. Like I have always like, you need to know what does it for you when you are really like at a place where you need distraction or comfort or whatever. And for me, it's all over. I'm just going to, this is a little embarrassing. I'm just going to like fess up to some things. One, the entire Jurassic Park franchise. And that's Whoa. well that I can't go to too often. Like I need to, I need, that's for emergency use only. Wow. Yeah. I... Deploy when in need. Okay. Jurassic. When you say franchise, you yeah. mean all of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously there are better. <laughs> Sam Neill and Chris Pratt. Exactly. I love Chris. I love, I love the recent ones. And here's the thing. I just love the dinosaurs. <laughs> that's it. I love the you like CGI dinosaurs, like the animals looking at them move around and yeah, the personality they give. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And just like the surprise of seeing a dinosaur. Like recently I was on, um, FaceTime and my friend's three and a half year old son asked me what my favorite dinosaur was. And I was like, uh, Triceratops. Like, like, like I have duh. a, friend. yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so I no, love Triceratops. But um, I really have to be careful about when I deploy it Um, on a very different, (laughs) like this makes no sense. I cannot explain this one to you at all, but uh, this is so weird. I love, (laughs) this is almost too weird to admit. Do it, do it. Well, it's so nothing. I love the movie, The Pelican Brief. John Grisham's The Pelican Brief. I could watch it a hundred times. And there's Denzel, right? (laughs) Denzel and Julia. Denzel and Julia. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. okay. Great appearance by Stanley Tucci. And um, the the thing that's sort of embarrassing about it is I've seen it countless times. I own it because I just like at one point I was like, let's stop. Let's stop renting this. Like, come on, Liz, just be honest with yourself. You need to own this. There are aspects of the plot that I cannot explain to you. Like, if you asked me to explain in detail the plot of the Pelican Brief, I couldn't really do it. There are things so what, I don't... What, it, what pulls you back if it's not John Grisham's excellent writing? I, <laughs> I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I love sort of, like, the chase element. I love this idea of a young woman coming up with this idea that, like, unlocks a big mystery. And then she's on the run. Like, the unlikely hero thing. I honestly, I like Denzel Washington. Like, I don't know what it is about the Pelican Brief, but I could watch it a million times. So there's that. Uh And then um, a recent rediscovery, which I do commend to people, is the sitcom New Girl on Fox, from Fox. I think that that was an unsung sitcom. I think it's very sung. You don't think it's... Really? 
I feel like I don't know a lot of people that loved it. And it, um, it's one of the few things that like, I will laugh. Like, I mean, big belly laughs. Like I, it was, I just think it's really delightful. It makes me really happy and I laugh a lot. So is that because you're a Zooey Duchanel doppelganger? Is that also something that's going on here? I love (laughs) dark hair bangs. You're dating one of the property brothers. No. My God, if I was dating one of the property brothers, yeah. Spoiler <laughs> alert, Betsy. I'm a very private person. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just, I just ruined it. I don't think I look like Zoe Deschanel, but I am very flattered every time somebody mentions it. I have big eyes and brown hair, and that's about it. But okay. um, maybe you yeah. look more like Winston. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny, and the characters are all sincere. Like you, you guys know from like Parks and Rec. Like that's what I like. Yeah. I, I don't like mm-hmm. the office. Because I feel like there, there's too much teasing. It feels too mean to me. But then Parks and Rec, which feels like it's grounded in like this sort of sincere love, I do like. Anyway, I've been rewatching New Girl, and it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Huge flex from New Girl, by the way, having Prince as a guest star. Oh, absolutely. Prince apparently Incredible. was a huge New Girl fan. And he reached out to them yeah. and said, I wow. want to be on the show. And he was great. I just watched that episode. He was great. All right, well, now I feel bad because you just named, like, six things. And I told Ricardo to, like, hold his I second thing. Okay, yeah, we can Ricardo. come back to you, Ricardo. Go, Ricardo. Oh. Go. Do it. Okay. So, you know, Jane Eyre just might not be everyone's cup of tea. As, it might as, not as, be. As, Liz, as Liz was talking, I realized, you know, Jane Eyre might seem kind of dry to people. So I was kind of racking my brain. I mean, it's uh, no it, Pelican brief. It's no. It's no. John Grisham. Oh, God. I mean, it's a- <laughs> Pelican brief, Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre is a sparrow compared to the Pelican brief. Right. Uh, so, and it ain't brief either. It's over 500 pages. But um, I, I just will say that it really does, you know, I talk about the 19th century and novels and all that. There really is, for me, and I know for a lot of people, this real escapism, this sense of like, this was a time and a place that was not mine. But if you read enough of it, you get a sense of what it might have felt like. And it's almost like fantasy. You know, it's like they get in the carriage, they go to the next carriage stop and, you know, all the tropes there, you, you get to know them. So it's almost like a fantasy novel or something. Mm-hmm. That's not really convincing anyone in my audience that I can see right now. So I'll no, move on no, from Jane Eyre. Ricardo, I've been catching up on Outlander, which I also think is a fantasy in yeah. an escape. And it just is Jane Eyre with more sex. So the other the other binge, the other comfort food I've been doing, actually, when I eat, I've been watching for the very first time 30 Rock. Oh. And um, that's a funny show. It's pretty outrageous sometimes. This is the things they say. I mean, I'm talking to you guys probably all watched it all the way through already. But just how they talk about race and sex. And it's just so out there. And it's borderline sometimes. But it makes you laugh. And it's, you know, it, it feels so strangely innocent now because they're talking about 2009 like it's right now. Like, they'll, they'll talk about when they are. I don't know. It's just like this, this racy and outrageous yet somehow given where we are now kind of quaint and kind of flashbacky nostalgic show that I've never watched before. This is a good time to catch up on some stuff in 30 Rock. I recommend if you haven't watched it or you can rewatch it. It holds up, I think. Greg, what about you? What are you doing? I don't know where I ever heard this, but I remember um, someone saying back in the day that if you wanted to sell a stereo to somebody or a stereo system or something like that to somebody at a Best Buy, um, 
try to gauge what you think the person's age was when they were a senior in high school and mm. play music from that year. And uh, you'll yeah. sell the stuff like right away because <laughs> there's something about um, there's something about the music from when you're coming of age and especially like when you're 18, 19, like music that comes out around that that time frame that it when you hear it, it instantly sort of transports you back to a simpler time like Ricardo's 19th century, like a very simpler mm. time. You know, the, I think the problem with the coronavirus stuff, for me anyway, and the reason that I'm hesitant to even talk about it is because it's just so complicated. And it's just like, it's it's just, it feels beyond me. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we're doing the right thing. I don't know if we're doing the wrong thing. I don't know if any of this is helpful or successful or, you know, it just feels so bigger than anything that I could wrap my arms around. So... When that happens, I pull out Spotify and I pull up the work from the greatest band of my life, which is Counting Crows. Your senior year in high school, Greg? Yeah, that was totally, yeah. yeah. Wait, August, yeah, August and everything after. It was like junior, senior year of high school. So, you know, just like Betsy has this U2 infatuation, right? And uh, it will ride or die with Bono. Like, at some point in my life, I made the conscious decision that whatever this band does, whatever Counting Crows does, I'm going to buy that album. I'm going to following along like that's that's what i'm gonna do can this we, is can my we say band? i made the better choice can we all make me agree <laughs> on that i mean when was counting crows on the cover of time magazine i don't remember that i must have missed that issue that's why oh, they never Aww. needed they never needed oh, they the didn't cover need it oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> it was understood it was, it was just to... everyone knew it would have been so done you so, could have so... the cover of time magazine or you could have the intro song to shrek 2 which one would you choose? <laughs> the choice. Tough choices. No, listen, I it's you know, honestly, you could play anything from them, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, any of that stuff, and I would go with it. But you know, it, the thing about Counting Crows is that it's not simple music, but it's music that speaks to me, you know? And I don't know that I don't know that that's meaningful to anybody else, except that um, I'm I find something in the melody and I find something in the lyrics. You know, it, it was actually to the point that I remember when we moved to Berkeley for seminary, we were living just like south of La Loma, uh, Virginia and La Loma, which is where like a- Adam Duritz lived for like, for, you know, when they were recording the first Whoa. album and stuff like that. And, and it's actually in one of their songs where he talks about down on Virginia and the Loma where I have friends who care for me. And it's just like, 
you know, that was, it was almost like a shrine just walking a block from my house. You know, it's, it's like, oh, Adam Driots lived there. That's awesome. Knew that. Is that why you walked around super weird with that candle and like went over? <laughs> there? Like, I didn't know that's what you were doing. That's no, that weird. was the time that I walked around super weird with the candle was the time that I was walking back from Telegraph one night through the Berkeley campus and I hear like these strands of something that sounds really familiar and they were playing a surprise concert on the quad like in uh, on the campus of berkeley and uh, i was like karen we have to stop we can't we can't go back home we've got to stay here and watch this concert um so it's you know i think that i think everyone has a band and everyone has a time in their life where they think they have everything figured out and for me, Counting Crows and senior year of high school, those two things kind of meld together. And when I'm thinking of comfort, I'm thinking of a time when I feel like I have a handle on life. And that's that's where that music transports me back to. So, yeah. Mm. Greg, that gives me like a ton of insight into kind of thinking again about what my seniors here are going through. Yeah. You know, they really thought that they were at that point, like, I've got this figured out. Like, here we go. And then suddenly they're back at home with their parents, but they can't go anywhere. And they're excited about going to college, but are their colleges starting? You know, it's like a lot of uncertainty. And and somebody had pointed it out to me that the kids who are currently seniors in high school, many of their their mothers were pregnant with them when 9-11 happened. And so it's this uncertainty bookend. Whoa. Of life, right? That, but you're right. Senior year, I, I got all this done. You know, like it makes me understand when you see those stories about teenagers whose parents are like, "You have to stay home." And they're like, "Screw you, mom and dad! I want to go hang out with my friends." This <laughs> you don't know anything. You don't know anything. I'm going to the woods understand. to see my friends, right? Like that kind of stuff. You know, like this is really becoming a very special episode. This is, I think we're doing a script from nine hundred two one zero right now. I learned it from watching you, Betsy. I love Dylan. I'm leaving. Yeah. So, nine um, eleven happened right before you know weeks before I started college, and I remember that feeling of just being on the cusp of something new, and then everything. There's a loss of innocence that happens in a big um, global event like this. Well, Betsy, oh. what are you binging on? What's your oh. Baby, I'm in uh, Ricardo's escapism zone. I did mention that Outlander is happening. I have acquired stars through a nice friend who shared a password with me. Um, But so I've been catching up on on that show. But the really the the I've I've committed to a couple of actually maybe three. One's a continuation, but two are series that I had never watched that I have completed one. I'm now on the second one. So I'm going for intricate crime espionage with one with a sci-fi quality. So I've continued to stick with Westworld, even though it is super intricate and confusing, right? It feels like it jumped the shark for me. I was like, I know, but I'm like, I'm like, I'm just in, I'm just, I'm very confused as who's who, what's happening, but I need something that's a mystery. I need a mystery, right? So Committed to the mystery. But the two shows, one I've completed, one I'm working on. The first one was The Americans, which I never watched when it was on. And for those of you who need a refresh, it was an FX show. 
Um, and it starred um, Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell, who were not together when the show started, but got together during the show. I didn't and know that. Have a baby or what? two, whatever. I don't know. But um, but they they are, it is, they're essentially the age of my parents. And it's like 1980s America, actually suburban Virginia, where I live. And they are Russian spies. And they have been living here since you know, for the past 15 years, 20 years, and have been being spies. So there's lots of wigs and dressing up and fighting and sex and this and that, like, you know, it's like, it's, there's a lot happening and it's very action packed. And I'm kind of, I like the fact that I'm essentially like uh, Carrie in Homeland. Like, I feel like in my brain, there's like all these pictures (laughs) and strings connecting everything together. And, And there's something about that that feels really activating to my brain to have like a really good story. The 1980s baby in me is like, these people are the bad guys. You know, Rush was the bad guys. And I feel like, I feel myself defaulting back to that zone and that Reagan era. And then you're feeling for characters you're not supposed to be feeling for, but then you are. And, you know, it's just the writing is good. The acting is good. Like all of it is really, really good. So highly recommend. Now the other show that I'm like three episodes into and I'm already hooked Peaky Blinders. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. Crime show in the early 1900s, post-World War One. So Celia Murphy as, you know, this essentially gang boss in Birmingham, England. And, you know, there's just there's there's none of this, you know, oh, people aren't driving and we can see the sky. It's soot. It's just people sleeping with their shoes on because stuff might happen at any moment. It's just a lot of action. So I'm like, okay, excellent. This is another intricate cast of characters that now I get to figure out how they're all trying to screw one another over or make a buck or try to live a life or solve a crime. And I'm interested to see kind of how that's going to play out. But Sam Neill is in it. I mean, the cast is really good. And, and I'm, I'm happy that I found, cause I was at sea a little bit after, after, uh, after the Americans ended, but now Peaky Blinders feels really good to me. I'm impressed that Sam Neill has come up twice on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point MVP, MVP of the episode. Cause I was wondering what he was up to. I, when I saw him come on, I was like, Oh, there you are. I see Sam Neill. <laughs> Wait, but, I wonder if he played Mr. Rochester in an adaptation. Oh, my God. Ever. We got to look it up. What if he's in all of them? And I think he did backup singing for the Counting Crows. We- yeah, I think he was the bassist. He played bass. It was when he was, you know, crashing in Berkeley and they all were hanging. <laughs> That's right. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us for our very special episode of Popping Collars. You can find all of our podcasts at our website, poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or any place that you get your podcasts. You can sort of sometimes find us on social media. Like we have a Facebook page, but we're all kind of like, like as Zuckerberg. So we're not that into it right now, but you know, you never know. And um, that's about it. Please rate and review and subscribe. Um, Hang in there, everyone out there. We know that we're all in different places. We're feeling different feelings. Know that you are cherished and loved. I'm just telling you that God loves you anyway. So keep those colors popped. Pop, pop. Pop, pop. <laughs>
<laughs> you can take whatever you want from that, Greg. Uh, yeah, I got plenty. I'm a new day rising I'm a brand new sky to hang The stars upon tonight I, I'm a little divided Do I stay or run away?